The Sports Career Podcast, episode 293. How can curiosity support you in the football industry? episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a sport industry professional in a certain sector of the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in the football industry. I hope today's episode can support you with regards to your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, before I talk about this week's podcast special guest, I want to talk to you about my Sports Career Masterclass, which I do every month to help you pursue a career in the sports industry with confidence. If you want more information and join me live on this live masterclass, head to education2sport forward slash masterclass and I'll see you there. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Lucy Mills. Lucy has a fascinating sports career journey, particularly in the football industry sector. Currently, she's the program manager at the Barcelona Football Club Foundation and also she is the board member at Lewis FC plus a few other projects in the world of Web3. So for that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Lucy as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Lucy will share her football career journey and explain to you the benefits of being curious, which can support your sports career development. Lucy, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please share to listeners your football career journey in the sports industry. When did it all start? Thanks so much, Ed. It's a real pleasure to be here. So my football journey, I'm 37 years old now. uh, So it uh, spans quite a few years. Um, I grew up playing football, um, yeah, kicking a ball around in the garden um, with my dad. Um, I played on the primary school team. I think I had a typical uh, experience of playing football as a girl in the 80s, 90s in the UK. And of course, that experience um, was uh, shrouded in in obstacles and long journeys to to compete and um, people telling you that you couldn't be part of the boys team and things like this. And I think that's, so my early early entrance into football was quite typical. There was nothing really unique about my entrance into the sport. Um, I loved all sports. Uh, yeah, played hockey as well, um, tennis, you name it. So um, sports person, sports girl, I think at a very young age, because of my typical experience of being a, 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 a female footballer in the UK uh, 30 years ago, um, that was really my first exposure, although I didn't articulate that at the time, but really as a sports feminist, uh, <laughs> fighting for uh, equality at a very young age, of course. Um, but I think where the story for me gets a little bit more uh, different was that at the age of 18, uh, I had that decision as, as many young people leaving school do about what to do next, right? And I didn't really know what I wanted to study. Um, and so at the time, I, and this was early days of the internet, I read or saw something online 
about some a, a guy from the UK doing something cool in West Africa with football, um, running an academy. And actually that sparked my interest. I looked into it further and it was uh, 2004 um, and uh, it was the very early days of what is now uh, a football group called Right to Dream. And so I actually uh, embarked on a, on a gap year <laughs> uh, with, it wasn't called Right to Dream at the time, but in Accra, West Africa, uh, along with a number of other volunteers of 18 to 22 year olds, also interested in, in football and coaching. And so I spent my gap year before I went on to university in in Ghana, West Africa, coaching football. That was I was quite an anomaly at the time, <laughs> being uh, one of the very few women uh, on the field with a whistle, training young teams, and it was really the first time. And and well, the title of this podcast is 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 around curiosity, right? And <clears throat> it was really the first time that I lived and experienced a culture through the lens and through the actions of football and that has been something that has dominated my entire career in football ever since the curiosity of understanding learning different cultures and contexts uh, through playing through watching through coaching through volunteering through researching um, and really I've had the privilege of having seen many football contexts for um, yeah, the following uh, sort of 15 plus years, half of that time I lived in South Africa and since 2014 I've, I've been living in Europe. Wow, what a reply. We've got to decode this a bit right? really <laughs> quickly. Okay, I'm going to go back to when you're 18 because I think this is important like micro step from a career standpoint. How reflecting that gap year was useful because sometimes in this today's age we're in this like do school university masters but it's like a literally a stepping stone but sometimes like you say getting in a different environment can open up doors from a different perspective so I just want people listening going actually a gap year is a choice like going to university after school is a choice so I'm just intrigued of that choice and were you comfortable or what were uncomfortable when making that decision I'm super curious so I was young, of course, I was 18. I don't think my parents were particularly comfortable <laughs> with the decision. I was very comfortable with it and excited. Um, of course, um, everyone's uh, socioeconomic family circumstances are all very different, right? So in my personal situation, I worked for a few months in a hotel and a bar to save some money. Um, I, I was dead set on the idea of, of going overseas. It was, it was just uh, the most exciting and actually the only thing I could think of at the time. Um, and that was really because um, I, I, I was looking at friends who were going straight to university and there was just um, not a single course that I knew about that I wanted to, to study. So I thought, well, I, I could study journalism because I'm, I, well, I, yeah, I'm interested in, uh, international issues and war correspondent type adventurous jobs or I could study uh, physical education uh, sport because I'm of my natural interest in sport but there was nothing really grabbing me about the university offers or about the information that we received in school at that time and so um, when I yeah the, the decision to go to Ghana was um, I wasn't 
uh, yeah, it, it was like I grabbed it with both their arms and and obviously had to save some money to 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 pay for for the flights and for the volunteer program. Um, and fortunate to have uh, support from my family as well, which is a very important um, consideration for for a lot of young people. So um, when I was in in Ghana, I was paired up and teamed up with um, lots of young volunteer coaches, both uh, from the UK and from Ghana. And we were placed in different football teams across the city. Um, so we were really thrown into the deep end and um, became, yeah, on the spot, very creative and, and resourceful and, um, yeah, learn how to deliver sessions and, and, and it was very much in the field. I mean, I was in the field every, every day, every morning and every evening, sunrise, sunset sessions. The, the, the main thing that that experience in, in Ghana, experiencing culture and, and different, a different way of living and sharing all of these amazing times with my colleagues, both from the UK and Ghana, what that entire experience did for me was open my eyes to, on return, to the, well, actually it changed my whole life, my whole trajectory, of course, <laughs> but um, the significant thing that it did was it helps me to understand uh, about, A, the, the, it helped me to see football in a different light, in a new light. It helped me to learn about how football is a is a you know it's the biggest culturally significant uh you know globally popular game and and um yeah cultural phenomenon that that exists in the world and it also intersects with society and 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 historical and political and social and economic processes in really really interesting ways so First of all, it opened me up to a whole different way of seeing football. And the second thing it opened me up to was to start to learn about uh, the, or, or, or start to become interested in international issues. Um, and I went on to university when I got back from Ghana and I studied international development. So this was learning about a lot of the uh, development theories and globalization and um, North-South economics. Uh, and, and reflecting on a lot of the issues, um, colonial legacies, you know, macroeconomics, all of these kinds of topics that I lived and I experienced, and then I was studying them on an academic level. And I think because I had that time out for a year, I think I matured. So actually, when I went to university, I was very, very, very studi uh, studious <laughs> and did really well in my degree because it was me applying myself because I was very passionate about the subjects and the topics that I was learning. Well, I hope people are taking notes because this is super important because it showed you had a connection point of being in the deep end in Ghana and then studying it. So you've got that actually life experience. So two things I want to touch on, because I think you hinted it really subtly, but I think it's important when you were raising money uh, at the hotel and working the bars, like from a skill set perspective, how did that support you with regards to your communication skills? Because I worked in a restaurant and without a doubt, understanding how to 
like communicate with like customers at a restaurant has so supported me more in the sports industry. And I'm just curious of those little odd and end jobs where people go, I don't want to be doing this for a career. No, nobody does. But the skills you learn can support you later on down the line. I'm just curious on the hotel and bar experience. Well, I won't lie here, Ed. I was, I still am. I'm very clumsy. And <laughs> um, I was forever dropping plates and screwing up orders. And um, yeah, I, I think in that, in the customer service setting, I was, I was, I was a disaster. So I won't lie and say that it equipped me for <laughs> The future and as well when I was 18 I was a lot I was very shy I was um, a lot more timid I think when you have a goal okay I want to do this I want to go to Ghana that's a very brave thing to do when you're 18 in, in, the, in the you know early 2000s so the things that I did were just a means to that goal and I had it in my head that I, I wanted to get this fundraising target and, I, and, I, and, and this was the reason. So I guess the learning from that is that there are often periods of time when you're young, when you're studying, when you're thinking about jobs that um, you think, oh, I just can't, I can't do this or I don't want to be doing this or a part-time job on the meantime because I have to um, save up. But if you have, if you think about, what's your bigger objective here that can be really helpful yeah and I think also to the confidence point so throwing yourself into the deep end so deciding I'm doing it before even really thinking it through and then all of a sudden I'm on the flight at Heathrow with Joe Mulberry who 20 years later is the technical the, the recruitment director at Right to Dream and, and a very good friend and the two of us were very young and naive and didn't know anything about the world and we just threw ourselves into it and so I think confidence can can come with throwing yourself in and it's the same with uh, working in a hotel on a night shift or on a breakfast shift uh, there are uncomfortable situations <laughs> yeah I guess seeing if you have a bigger goal as a student or you're saving up for something remembering that um, but also that uncomfortable situations are, are where we grow, where we gain confidence and also where we meet people we would never maybe imagine meeting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And now just touching on, could you just paint the picture after, after your time doing that degree from like the career journey path to where you are now? Yes. So, so I, yes, I studied in international development at Leeds University. It was a, a, a brilliant three years of, of, of learning, as I, as I just mentioned. When I finished, I, in 2008, I went directly to South Africa to study a master's degree in the similar topic, development studies, at the University of Cape Town. The reason why I wanted to do that is because actually for a few years studying international development, learning about all of these international issues and processes from the UK kind of I felt like it was only part of the the picture and I was really really seeking out uh, an educational journey that was was rooted in a different um, region of the world so I was looking at different universities in Africa to get an African perspective of the issues that had, I had been studying at, at, at um, undergraduate level. The, um, 
I said that this university in South Africa is, is, a, is an excellent one. Um, Development Studies is an excellent programme. So um, I was accepted onto the course, this is in 2008, 2009. It was a small programme with students from, from several different countries, from, from Zambia, from Lesotho, from Canada. Uh, so it was, it was uh, again, another multicultural setting. We had uh, teachers, experts, guest professors, from, from a wide range of different backgrounds, um, predominantly Southern African uh, professors and, and guest lecturers and speakers. So there, my, yeah, we gained a, a quite a different and perhaps more critical perspective on international development um, from, from South Africa. And, and that's inevitable, <laughs> really. Um, yeah. Just reflecting of what you've just said, how has that supported you now? Because I think that's a really important point, particularly in the football industry, having that understanding or being mindful of culture, but also how places work around the world is always different. And that's one thing I've learned about the football industry compared to other sectors of the sports industry, which is massive. I'm just curious of what you've just said. How has that supported you right at the moment with all the current projects, current work? We'll talk about Lewis in a second, but I'm just curious of how that masters has supported you now. It was huge. It's been fundamental in my learning um, on a number of different levels on understanding that that the the historical, political, economic, social processes that happen on a micro level or on a macro level, you know, in small communities to across the world are experienced and and either actioned or received by different groups of people and and everybody's experiences are, are different and are shaped on their position in in the, in the scenario right so it's, it's just about really the bigger takeaway is about um, understanding that there's different pers perspectives and different ways of experiencing something I relate my learnings a lot to football um, I think in the UK we'll all be familiar with the the ban on women's football that the FA implemented in in recent you know up in, from the 40s to the 70s so oh, when we think about the the fact you know a, a lot of the times there's this assumption that football is inherently masculine or male but actually nothing is inherently anything and it's a process of years and decades and centuries of even laws that were put in place <laughs> to shape um, the the way that something is, and so football is the same. It, 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 well, football all over the world. It's, it has been shaped by political forces, by economic forces, by globalization. Um, but my yeah, I think my my degree while I was studying, I was also playing football, and so I was playing football for a couple of teams. One, I was playing for the university team. Uh, University of Cape Town women's soccer team and I was also playing for a, a team top level of the province and my experience of, of being a footballer in South Africa at the time 15 years ago also I mean to the to my similar experience of living the society through football was this very same thing so in the places that we played with the teammates that I had yeah with the way that we experience football 
were, were undeniably shaped by the political, socioeconomic processes of, of South Africa, which have their own, it has its own history and trajectory and, and very unique perspective in the world as a, as a country, very different from, from say, Ghana and very different from the UK. Got my curiosity going even more now, because I assume when you're a player, which I never knew about, I assume when you were playing then the pathways weren't the same where they are now. Because I've had some uh, professional women football players and a lot of the journey, in, they're in their 30s as well. It was like they played with the boys up to 16, then they went in the women's team. But it sounds like there was that bit of luck along the way, but now things are a lot more equal access, meaning the pathways are more professionalised from a grassroots perspective. So I'm just curious from a looking back 15 years ago, would you say that it was very hard for you to be a pro athlete because how things were then from the political, the governance of football from that side of things? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that notwithstanding the fact that I have no idea if I would have been good enough. <laughs> but the... No, but it's more just for the listener to understand this industry and how it's really yeah, but I think going the right that, direction. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the... The opportunities were a lot more diminished 15 to 20 years ago for girls and women. And, and this is well documented and, and, and talked about extensively. And but the thing I don't think my interest was purely on, on playing. Um, I, I, I liked playing, I still play now. Uh, in fact, everywhere I go, I have my football boots. I, I think I've played in over 20 countries or something like that. In recent years um, and I don't know if I was destined to be a professional footballer really but I was always curious about the role that football ha has and had in the world and how it is a platform to to that I used to I used to think that football mirrored society, right? And you often hear this term that football is a mirror society. And I think I believe that 15, 20 years ago, I think I believe that what was happening in the world was filtered in to the game. And so my experiences growing up of lacking opportunities was a wider symptom or, or uh, yeah, a wider manifestation of, of inequality in society. And I think uh, uh, in, in more recent years, I, I actually think that that football can be, is and can be a space and a platform to lead on progressive social change and not just follow. And, and I think I've always been curious, not just, as, uh, yeah, I like playing and I like watching and I like, I like being on the field for sure, but I think my curiosity is around how the role that football has on individuals, on people, on me, how, how it makes me feel, how I have got to um, get, I've been able to get to know so many different people. I've been able to understand so many different cultures, perspectives. Um, and, and I think that's the thing that excites me the most about football about making football a better sport to make society better mm -hmm. so really quickly after South Africa then I want to dig deep in more of like decision like when was that 
decision after South Africa going, right, I want to go in the football industry. Did that cross your mind or did you, like you said, you wanted to use football as a tool to, to create change? But when was that moment, right, I want to work in the football industry? So I, I, I went straight into it when I finished studying my master's degree. Yeah. So in 2008-9 was when I studied. And then I signed up to be a volunteer in a yeah an NGO non-governmental organization it was a community program in South Africa and actually because I, I stayed for another uh six years or five five or six years so I actually I I didn't leave <laughs> straight away so I um, started to become a volunteer for a program called Coaching for Hope the program was supported and backed by the English Football Association and um, I was volunteering on a program that was all about working with women to train women up as female as, as, as coaches right and uh, for those female coaches to be supported to design and deliver football and social and educational activities in a, a lot of different contexts across um, the Western Cape province of South Africa. So I started as a volunteer for about um, maybe a year and a half. Um, it, was a, a, it was a volunteer placement that, that was given a stipend as well. So that could cover my basic, uh, kind of basic living. Um, it wasn't a job as such, it was a, it was a volunteer placement with a stipend was my first professional experience and and so it combined my curiosity of, of international development with my interest in football and um, I actually then was offered a job to continue working in this program it was it was an interesting project at the time because the South African government or the the city of Cape Town which is the the, the provincial or the city government for, for the for Cape Town in the post-apartheid era, there, there had been a lot of sports facilities that had been built. So in the in the 90s, in the in the two, early 2000s, and it had got to a point. Uh, this is just before the 2010 FIFA Men's World Cup. They, it got to the point where many of these fields weren't being uh, used, or they were underutilized, or they had been abandoned, or they were too expensive to maintain. And the city of Cape Town government wanted to revitalize these sports spaces. So they, they turned to this the, the Coaching for Hope, the, the program that I was volunteering and then worked for, and said, um, help us to rejuvenate these sports facilities. And so we helped the city of Cape Town to do that um, under the, with the commitment that we would focus on girls and women. And so that's where the, that was really my my first professional experience in uh, women's empowerment, in opportunity for girls, in um, yeah, in women's leadership and these kinds of fields. So I spent a few years doing that, and then um, at the time in 2009-10, there was a lot of heightened interest in South Africa because of the FIFA Men's World Cup that was coming. So a lot of interest, a lot of investment, um, FIFA's corporate partners, a lot of the rhetoric around the FIFA Men's World Cup was that it was the first time that the World Cup 
was being hosted on African soil. There was a huge promise of, of legacy. Um, it was a really exciting time and, and uh, yeah, the Vuvuzelas and the Shakira song and <laughs> all of that. And, and so around the 2010 Men's World Cup, there was the social aspect of that World Cup that was managed by Street Football World, which I'm sure you've, you've heard of as a, as a network and as a key driving organization in football for good. And um, Street Football World was managing the legacy program linked to the 2010 FIFA Men's World Cup um, with, with FIFA's social program at the time that was called Football for Hope. So I applied for a job to work on this legacy program as a program manager. Um, I successfully um, went through the interview process and, and was awarded this position. Um, and for the next couple of years worked as a program manager based out of South Africa, but with a, a, a reach to 16 different countries across the continent, working with a lot of different football-based NGOs, running different social programs with football and, and FIFA and, and Football for Hope were, were, were building at the time, uh, football and, and football centres that had uh, classrooms or libraries or health facilities. Um, and many of the prominent, excellent organisations in Football for Good were the centre hosts. So organisations like Grassroots Soccer, Kick for Life, moving the goalposts, some of these reputable football for good organizations. So um, that was a, a real privilege. It was an incredibly rich experience um, getting to, to learn and, and work alongside and, and develop programs and run training workshops with a whole range of different amazing uh, football for good programs. And of course, experienced the, the excitement that was, yeah, there was a lot of celebration around the 2010 FIFA, FIFA Men's World Cup. So that's what I was doing up until 2014 when FIFA moved to Brazil and that chapter had closed and uh, yeah, my contract as well. And that at that point, I decided to move back to Europe to conclude the South Africa chapter. <laughs> We're going to have a time out here because I hope the listeners are sort of like sort of getting that domino effect, because I think this is important with regards to my next question of, and it's used a lot now, but I think nearly everybody on my podcast during their period of the career has done internships, have done volunteering for a period of time that gave them that platform for what you've just experienced with that legacy program. So just for the listeners listening in of like the benefits of volunteering, but it's without a doubt, you you've gave a great case study there it's got to be a volunteering opportunity that so connect with you that you know that you're looking at the bigger picture than just a couple or three months time. I just would love that part just for the listeners, just to take some notes of like how volunteering can be that stepping stone to where you really, really want to go from a full employment. And I must say here as well that volunteering, everyone at all ages can volunteer so I'm 37 now I have a full-time job but I've, I'm volunteering in two weeks time at a, a web three and sports summit in London it's two days so I'm taking leave and volunteering at that or I volunteered at the equal playing field uh, festival around the 2019 women's world cup 
um, or I volunteer in a, a social program here in Barcelona. So, um, so if you if you're a student, if you're a young person, and maybe you're you're saving money and um, you're thinking about having a career in sport, you can look around what's happening in your town or your city. And there are plenty of volunteer opportunities that you can do on the side of your part-time or full-time job or part-time, full-time studies. There are, um, I think about uh, marathons, um, always need people to volunteer on them. Um, you know, events, um, I'm just thinking about the sports, sports type sector, um, match days, I have always thought about volunteering as a way to get exposure into something I'm interested in that I might want to then work in in the future. And I, I do this today. I've, ne I've never stopped doing that, actually. More, probably more pronounced if you're looking for that first job, as you referred to now, right? That it's what happened with me is that I, I finished studying. I found this great volunteer placement. Um, I was immersed in a context, a context. I'm, I made good connections, um, I had hands-on practical experience, I could reflect on, on, those, on what I was doing relative to my studies and maybe previous experiences in Ghana. But of, of course I also acknowledge that volunteering is, is not easy because there's a certain level of, of maybe financial support um, that you need. Not everybody can move geographic location to volunteer so first and foremost I would look within my immediate community and see um, are there associations are there events are there groups are there networks are there talks if you have a spare couple of hours a week and um, students are often write to me saying I want to help out what can I do <laughs> uh, and and often it's maybe not easy to think about then, okay, what, what can you do? But um, I think it's certainly, a, it's a great attitude to have. And if you put yourself out there and you do have a couple of hours there in the week, you, you will undoubtedly find a group, a space, um, a team that will welcome you and that can help you build further experience. Absolutely. Like my first ever bit of volunteering when you're bringing back memories was the Henley Half Marathon when I was even at school and it taught, I was like the normal steward and then three years later I was head steward. And I think the key thing I'm trying to emphasise or point is that, and you mentioned it beautifully, Lucy, with regards to improves your network, improves your confidence, improve your skill sets. But when I mean, and also the awareness of how uh, an event is run, like uh, the best advice I've ever had on the sports industry is somebody said to me, Ed, the sports industry is an event industry. Everything's relating to some sort of event or an occasion. And if you can understand that, like a run, I think park runs are a great example because they're, they're all over the world. Um, and I had uh, one of the guys in Australia who runs the park run Australia. And I think that's where, like you say, just a couple of hours, you, you sort of getting that little snippet of experience. So I want to now tailor into Barcelona because this role I find fascinating. When we say that word, we assume the football club but what you do there is totally different and I'm just I'd love you just to paint the picture of how you got that role but most importantly like what you're enjoying the most from this role relating to your studies relating to your past experience uh yeah I'm going to give you the mic thanks Ed yeah so I've been in Barcelona for four years I'm coming to the end of my fourth season at football club Barcelona but I work in the foundation department of the club 
So it's called Barca Foundation or Fundacio Barca in Catalan. Um, and I'm a program manager. So the role, it, it really builds on a lot of the skills and experiences that I feel comfortable and, and I have done for a long time, which is great. It, make, it makes it more enjoyable um, to know that you, you feel like you're doing something well. <laughs> um, but of course, it was a new context. It was working within one of the, you know, one of the most uh, famous clubs in the world and in a completely new context in a new country with a new team and so there were many there have been many many elements of, of, of and, and challenges along the way as well so it's a it's been a nice uh, balance let's say of, of challenge and, and and familiarity so I um, as a program manager actually let me tell you about what um, the Barca Foundation does yeah so Barca Foundation has been an, a foundation for 25 years within uh, as, as a as an independent foundation but but as part of of Barca you will know that Barca has this more than a club slogan so of course the foundation is a is a key or instrumental um uh, part of bringing to life that ethos, that slogan of being more than a club. Um, the, the club has strong values as well that are felt uh, on the pitch, the way in the, in, the in the style of play among the women's and the men's teams, uh, among employees and fan base and, 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 and socios, socias, the owners and stakeholders of the club. So the foundation is... is um, is very embedded and integrated in, into the club. And I think this is something, having seen different setups and structures of football foundations, so foundations that are linked to a professional football club, this is something that's quite unique about Barca Foundation. It's really, really embedded. Uh, it's, 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 yeah, a, a core part of the club. Some of the foundations, uh, not going to name, are, are quite separate. And so there's obviously pros and cons for each, but my experience at Barca Foundation is it's it's really, really, um, yeah, a strong part of the, the culture and the values of the club. The club, I think with many football clubs, the origins are in the community where they're from. So Barcelona Football Club is a is rooted in the Catalan society and, 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 and culture and customs and so on. Um, but over the past 10 years, had, had the club had steadily been globalizing and, and you know, operating more on an international level. And this reflects the, the, the trajectory of the foundation as well. So what started off as a strongly Catalan foundation rooted in, in Catalan society has increasingly become more international, operating in many countries and continents around the world. The foundation has um, a number of strategic alliances and partnerships locally and internationally. Actually today, funnily enough, the 14th of June, um, FC Barcelona uh, president and Barca Foundation director are in Geneva uh, signing the new agreement with the United Nations Refugee Agency which is a, a new collaboration, uh, UNHCR, the logo will be on the, the team shirts and there will be uh, funding from the club and the foundation that will go to different social programs 
for refugees in different countries around the world. Um, so that's a, a real example of a, of a club partnership that is uh, managed through the foundation. And, and the foundation is all about promoting the, the yeah, promoting uh, social outcomes. So improving the lives of children and young people who might be in difficult or marginalized situations, who might be discriminated against based on political status or, or uh, ability, or whether they have a disability, whether they're in, in different context, difficult contexts of, of poverty as well. So has a, a, an inclusion focus. And the way we think about sport is also that we intentionally create safe spaces and we design sports-based uh, activities that are purposefully um, inclusive and make sure that everybody, irrespective of your ability or um, your background or your ability of anything, that every young person can enjoy and feel the benefit of the sporting, sporting activity. And so um, that's something that's quite typical in football for good programs is, is well-designed, inclusive sports-based activities that also have a learning uh, activities that um, have time for reflection and discussion. One of the things that Barca Foundation has increasingly been looking at this season in particular is how to make sure that we're linking our sports-based programs to or making sure that we're having the most amount of impact that we can have with young people in our programs. So if we identify that um, school attendance is a problem. How can we work with different partners in that area, context, community to try to promote school attendance, things like that. Or we're doing some stuff right now in, in Greece with, um, with a, a health-focused uh, organisation. So making sure that children who have a refugee background, they're living in refugee camps, they've been involved in our sports-based social programmes all season. This is the kind of stuff that Barca Foundation does. So I guess we're quite a big foundation in summary. We're very embedded within the club. Um, we, we, we're quite linked to the, to the men's team, to the women's team, to Team Genuine, which is our new team this season of people with intellectual disabilities who are competing in a national uh, league among other clubs, at the professional league backed by Santander. And the Liga um, and we also have our own methodologies and our own programs and we work a lot in partnership with with NGOs, uh, community organizations, um, government entities and then big organizations like uh, UNHCR. Okay I'm going to be a bit cheeky without giving too much away then just for any club owners or clubs who haven't you know because Barcelona is such a big club it's sometimes hard to relate to what little tips would you give to having that sort of like value based drive to get the ball rolling? Like we could use Lewis FC as a great example, but I just want somebody listening going, okay, where's the first step to be like a value, you know, driven football club where it's not about what you just mentioned was nothing about performance on, an, on the pitch, off the pitch, if it's the men's team, the women's team. So I just want, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a bit behind the scenes of where's the first step, to put this value drive in a football club so 
it can create more opportunities in the community, not just on the football pitch. Putting me on the spot there. So I think that when you look across the football industry and the football for good landscape, you have got different models, right? So it does depend on, on, on your setup, a lot, of, a lot of different things. But I think about some clubs have done that work where they've, they've looked at who their key st- stakeholders are, who their fans are, um, what their local community is like. Um, and they've come together and they've collectively gone through a process of, of identifying um, what their shared values and, and what their individual and shared purpose is about. So we actually we've got a few really good examples of football clubs that um, that don't have a, a separate department foundation, but actually the entire club is um, working towards having a, a, a shared purpose and so that is reflected in the football that's played on the pitch and it's reflected in in the way that the the staff and and the different and the way that the the club is projecting itself in the community Um, there are quite a few different examples of that I think where to start if I reflect on this season particularly and I know I'm, I'm going back to to football club Barcelona one of the most moving moments for me was attending the uh, semi-final of the European Women's Championships where over 90,000 people, fan, Barca fans, went, came to Camp Nou, to the stadium, to watch the Barca women's team play. And people were there five hours before the game. People stayed an hour <laughs> after the game had finished. Uh, it The demographic was really, it was... It was Bas. It was the city. It was Barca fans. It was kids. It was groups of guys, friends, families, retired people. It was an entire uh, representation of the city, and th- that was a really moving moment because I think what the club has slowly managed to do is to de- define what football is for the club and make that make that throughout the club whether it's with the men's team with the women's team with team genuine that the fans then react and the fans are given an opportunity to get on board with that so clubs in a way they have to if i think about that they have to know their identity they have to be in tune with it they have to then take the risk and to be brave to to maybe try something different um over investing in otherwise underinvested areas, opening up the stadium, realizing that Barca fans are not gen, not often just Barca men's fans, but they're fans of the city, they're proud of the city, they're proud of the club, they're proud, proud of the, the origins and the values. So the club has a big responsibility in setting that precedent, in setting the identity and listening to people around it and then providing opportunities to, to realize them for, for, for their stakeholders. So um, it's, in the Barca context, it's been a very slow and long, it's been a few years in the making. But if I think about what the lessons are for other clubs, is that, that we can't just be stuck in rigid ways because things have always been done the way that they've been done, that there's an element of risk that there's an element of tapping into new social movements happening around the world, 
um, there's an element of setting, of leading on progressive social change and not being uh, receivers <laughs> and waiting. Um, so, yeah, lots of learnings from from Barca. So, was that what really inspired you to get on the board at Lewis FC? So, I've been an owner of Lewis Football Club for three years. I didn't know much about the club. I've ne I'd never even visited Lewis, which is a small town near Brighton in the south of England. But from what I'd read and what I'd seen, I really, really liked the community model ownership, the uh, community ownership model, and the fact that they divided the resources equally between men and women. And it, it's, seems like such a no-brainer and so simple and a decision that for me really made me question what the role how we define sport what the purpose of sport is in society so I'd been an owner for three years and when I mean an owner I had paid my it's a community benefit um, organization between 50 and 100 pounds per year to have a, a ownership share and you get your nice certificate <laughs> and uh, that's how I signed up and it's quite cool to say that you're an owner of a football club of course the board of directors actually comes from the ownership base and they're elected by fellow owners and there are over 2,000 owners in I think over 36 countries worldwide so um, and it was these owners who elect board members to, to represent, govern, make strategic decisions on behalf of and of the best interests of the club. The club is run by a fantastic CEO, Maggie Murphy, who reports into the board. Um, so I decided that I, I wanted to um, represent owners and, and step up into this governance position on the board. And so I actually nominated myself, <laughs> which was a kind of a scary, weird thing to do. Um, I had to present my motivations for, for joining the board to fellow owners. And then um, I was elected in as an, uh, from the ownership base onto the board. So I've been on the board for six months now. Um, it's... Fantastic. <laughs> I always say to everybody that I had a great image, a great impression of Lewis Football Club for the two and a half years that I was an owner, having never actually been to Lewis, which is kind of, a, it's interesting how football fandom can be like that. Um, often you support clubs in places that are in places you've never been. Um, that's interesting in, in itself. Um, particularly in the UK context where we're very rooted to our, our home cities and clubs. So um, I, I had a good impression when I joined the board and now I obviously have an inner um, <laughs> insight and perspective into the club. All of the good things that I thought about Lewis um, were confirmed and reinforced by the experiences I've had being on the board and having that inner insight. It is an incredibly ambitious club. It tries to be transparent. The strategy is printed on the website. Um, we try to uphold the yeah the, the, the ideals. The, it's a model that's very coherent in, in what it says, what it does, what is written in the constitution. 
and uh, it's a really really enlightened and fun environment too so it's been a really really good experience my particular focus at the moment as a board member because I, of course I'm based in Barcelona and I've only been I went to Lewis once in February I'm not physically there I'm a little bit more removed um, but I think my insights as an international owner um, are, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm exploring those and my particular focus with Lewis right now is on the ownership community and um, and looking at what what the experience of being an owner means, could mean, um, ways to engage our owners and to put in systems and, and processes that mean that owners can step up and contribute to the club if they want to. Um, and and I, I guess long-term, the more owners we have around the world helps us in two main ways. One, it's a critical mass of people who believe in it, that a different football is possible <laughs> and it is possible. <laughs> Lewis FC have, are proving it's possible. And two, that it can uh, significantly help us in terms of our uh, financial sustainability too. Um, so th there's uh, both kind of moral and, and sustainability um, reasons for, for growing our ownership uh, model and base and I think it could be a really really good model for other uh, clubs to to really look at and analyze and think about what kind of relationship are they having with their fans with their stakeholders with their community and um, could this be an interesting approach for them too and we're seeing today that the notion of community and, and belonging um, and also the, the, the concept of, of ownership is, is highly contested and is, is talked about a lot. And so um, Lewis FC has this brilliant model ahead of its time that gives people an ownership share and a sense of belonging in a community. Um, and so has really, really good foundations to, to be able to scale that and to, to include more people, irrespective of, of where they're from around the world, because the entry point, the cost um, and the communication, it's virtual, is, is, yeah, is quite accessible. Absolutely. I hope if you're studying sport, you use Lewis as a case study, because I had Karen Dobrez and No Charlie through past Athens Women's Football Summits event, and I find it a curious club in regards to like positive change, which has been like a theme throughout this whole podcast. But... I did say to you before, like, what have you enjoyed? And you just said, Ed, the people, and it's fun. Like, could you just emphasize to the listeners, like, how it can make a difference of just working with great people alongside you? Because we sometimes forget that. And I think when you have that environment, it just makes the whole experience 10 times better. I can see the big smile on your face, but I just want to state the obvious of, like, the benefits you've seen just from a board environment, like how it can still be fun and by working with these great people. Great point, Ed. I'm really happy you said that. And because I, so a lot of people in football, how to put this, I feel like in, in, in some football contexts I've worked in previously, people are very serious and they take themselves seriously and they have frowns on their faces. And to work in football is a huge privilege 
and it's very exciting and I think we should be of course we have bad days and there's pressure and there's ups and downs and so on but generally culture day-to-day um being around people who bring a smile to your face is really 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 important for for Lewis FC in particular I think the leadership that Maggie Murphy has with her team is 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 brilliant she's slowly building um a a, a, a executive team and a, an operational team and a team of volunteers so I think yeah leadership is key in creating those you know ultimately it's about creating spaces where you feel comfortable and you feel like you can be yourself there are many football spaces where I think you you can't be yourself or it's intimidating or people are very serious and thinking that they're very important ego people and there's a lot of that in football and it's just utter nonsense I hate it um, I think every environment should be that you you feel like you can express yourself, that you're supported by the people around you, and that we take the all of the values and the and the benefits and the positives of the game <laughs> into the professional setting. I think on on the on a board, uh, this is my first board of director position. It's quite intimidating the kind of ooh, having a, a board position. And I think for anybody, you know, young person looking up to people on boards, it's like, oh, that's that seems very <laughs> far from them, as it felt very far from me. Um, I think there's a there's a an imposter syndrome type thing that can happen when you're on boards or um, even when you step into jobs because you might question your experience or your why am I here all of that kind of stuff, that's really, really common. But the board experience that I've had, um, so we had a a board away day in February in Lewis, and um, it was in an environment that was really relaxed. (laughs) People were wearing what they liked. That set a really strong message of relax, be comfortable, make yourself a cuppa. Um, And we had the social time as well as the core business time. And it really made me feel welcome. It was my first ever time in Lewis. It was my first time at at an in-person board meeting. So those moments of creating positive culture and yeah, welcoming spaces and people going up to you, asking you questions, being curious and what do you think? They're they're really, really important because they they help you further shine and they bring out the best in you. And I would say if you're in a situation where you just don't feel like you can be yourself or nobody's supporting you. No one is giving you a voice. No one is respecting you. Get out of there. <laughs> That's my advice. <laughs> I could hear that. And I have to agree on that as well. Like if you're not being yourself and you are, you're not showing your true potential. So I'm curious now, like looking back, Lucy, like what have you enjoyed the most from your football career journey? Looking back right now. It's making friends along the way. Uh, one of my, I mean, I just have too many uh, highlights, but it's really the people that define my experiences. And I've come full circle and met people from a different context or country or job in a later life. I'm now working on a project right now, um, a Web3 and football project, which we'll save that for another time with a guy who I um, knew in a different life 10 years ago and we've reconnected. So 
um, it's yeah, I think it's the it's the it's the friendships really along the way, and and um, actually one of the biggest highlights has been also to see um, as as having a particular interest in in the women's game is to see that all of the hard work that all of the the fighters and the hustlers and the advocates and all of the people who have come before us, this generation of people who sacrificed so much their jobs, their reputations, um, that that this generation really set has helped us. And we we would like to think that men and women alike that we are continuing this fight <laughs> for equality and, and better opportunity and visibility and professionalization for women. So it's been great to have those moments where uh, equal pay uh, ruling or um, the you know one billion people watching the women's world cup these moments of celebration that keep you motivated and keep you wanting to be part of this uh, this this uh, positive movement movement for for positive social change um, and then of course, you get reminded frequently <laughs> that there's still a lot to be done. And um, that just gives you the fire to, to keep going as well. Absolutely. It's like highlighting those mini wins, but just keep going um, with regards to that momentum, which is so key. Sp particularly, that that's the biggest learning lesson I've learned in with regards to women's football, just this momentum change with regards to changing the narrative. It makes me smile because this is what sport's about. As I always say, Football is football, and that's how it should be. And look, I know you've given so much guidance at this podcast chat, and I hope people are like scribbling quite a lot of notes. But I always like to finish with an inspirational question: What three tips do you give to listeners with regards to pursuing a career in the football industry? Like, feel free to recap, but just what would those three tips be? So I really like your the, the title of this podcast, right? Curiosity. Um, so definitely openness, curiosity asking questions, um, having a learning attitude and being open and absorbing fundamental. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is um, persistence and, um, and being brave and having the confidence to knock on doors, write emails, LinkedIn requests. Um, if you're at a conference, uh, try to grab the person that's interesting. Um, yeah, don't don't feel like you're you're not valid in some way. And it's a shame that in society today we talk we think a lot about people's identity in relation to the work they have. And so, for someone who's not working, or if they're a student wanting to break into the game, this is an incredibly difficult challenge. And um, I've been having several quite a number of calls with students lately um, who are wanting advice they're wanting to break into the industry some of the most incredibly talented incredible just unbelievable people with ideas and amazing attitude and so they just need um yeah they need someone to just yeah take a chance on them so so my second point really is keep doing that keep hustling use the technologies that are available like linkedin is an incredible tool that we didn't have when i was starting out and you probably you as well actually ed <laughs> i don't know um 
And then the, so that, yeah, so first one is definitely curiosity and immersion to learning. Two is, yeah, persistence and, um, yeah, perseverance and, and bravery. And, and the third one is being strategic somehow. So firstly, strategic with your networking. So the, the, the first two points that I mentioned, you, that there, has to, there has to be some kind of strategy and be strategic and how you, how you document or, or save the contacts you've made. Um, you might follow up and give updates to the contacts. So be strategic. And then, and also if you have uh, a bigger objective and goal in mind or you, you want to be somewhere, how can you get there? And that also takes some strategic thinking about how can I get exposed to that person or that environment or yeah, have, have a think and don't just copy what copy what other people do or do what you think you should be doing. But if you intuitively have a goal in mind, then then have a think about how you can get there. And lastly, it's also fine to change your mind and go on to something completely new and different. <laughs> yeah, no, I think flexibility, like if I coupled that together, it's having the flexibility with, the, with the, that mindset of a plan, like start it, like they always say, start the end in mind and work backwards. And it goes back to having that open learning right at the beginning. So look, I hope that this is take those four tips. You gave us a bonus one right at the end. But Lucy, how can people interact with you on social media? Like where's the best place to go? Yeah, thanks. So um, I am on LinkedIn and I like writing reflections and posts and conversation starters on LinkedIn. So um, please do contribute there. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, Ed, if you'll share the LinkedIn uh, post. And then, I will do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also on Twitter, Lucy underscore C underscore Mills. Um, and yeah, I think those are the two main places. And if anyone's listening and, and they want to have uh, a chat, then feel free, um, be brave and, and reach out. So all the listeners listening in, those two links will be on my website with regards to this podcast. Lucy, it's been a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wow, what a fascinating podcast chat with Lucy. And with regards to today's podcast topic, there was always a theme throughout all this conversation about how curiosity has really supported Lucy's career journey, particularly in the football industry. So I hope you've got a better understanding now that being curious, asking questions, using your knowledge with regards to using football, as Lucy said, as like a tool of change, can help you work in this industry. And then another point I want to highlight, because it's always used on this show a lot, is volunteering. Like, I hope now you've got a better understanding that volunteering is a strategic move to your career journey. And it has to have an interest in what you want to do. A lot of people will say, just volunteer with no clarity of the benefits, particularly in the direction you want to go. And I think Lucy really explained it very clear that whenever she volunteers, it's a way of her focusing on something she has an interest in to then pursue in, if it's a project, if it's a role. So that's the way I would look at it with regards to volunteering. And I'm so grateful that Lucy has managed to share that in such a clear and concise way. And then with us pursuing the career in the football industry, I hope you've just got a 
different perspective of Barcelona Football Club from a foundation standpoint. And if you're listening in of going, oh, I can would like to work with other football clubs and their foundations, I hope you've just got a better understanding what the line of work she does there. So really, as she said, it's nothing really to do what happens on the football pitch or off the football pitch from a performance standpoint. It's all about the community and using incentives to make the community better within the Barca community, the fan perspective. This is what it's all about. And then finally, with regards to Lucy's very newish role at the board of Lewis. I hope now you've just got a little snapshot of like getting involved in other clubs from a board standpoint. You can learn so much, you can develop so much in the area of the football industry. But again, a different perspective of working in the football club perspective. So I really do hope you enjoyed this podcast chat from an educational standpoint. Understand from a experience standpoint of Lucy, which you can model with regards to your career journey in the football industry. But finally, with regards to the career tips she mentioned right at the end, and it is vital, being yourself is crucial. And that's probably the one thing what I've enjoyed, even my experience working in the football industry. If you're not being yourself with the environment of the people you work with, there is a problem. And I think it's vital for me to highlight that too, because as much as we have the passion of working in football, the passion of working in the sports industry, if you're not being yourself, you're not going to thrive. So I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat. And let me know on Twitter, EdBowers101, your biggest takeaway, which you're going to apply to your sports career development now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Lucy said, be strategic in what you want to do. That means you're networking. That means the opportunities and the interests you have. And always focus on your career goal and how you get there.